You're listening to the weekly Joel Klatt segment podcast. Listen to it live every Wednesday between 8 and 8.30 a.m. during the football season. Presented exclusively by Audi Flatirons in Broomfield. Exceeding your experience from the first mile to the last. Joining us now for his weekly visit, the one and only Joel Klatt. He is presented by Audi Flatirons, lead college football analyst at Fox Sports. Good morning, Joel. Good morning. What's up? How are we doing, guys? Well, we're doing really good. You know, uh, I, I think... Uh, Mike and I were talking about this, that uh, Nathaniel Hackett said, hey, listen, we got to go on a win streak, right? Got to put three, four, five games together, get on a win streak. Um, anything that you have seen, especially through the last game, through the, the Jacksonville game in London, that would lead you to believe that this is a team that could go on a three, four game win streak? Uh, no, not in particular. I don't think that they're marked. I don't think that they're good enough on the offensive line to do that. I think to go on a win streak, you've got to be able to dominate up front, and and they they don't do that. Now they're going to be what banged up at center now, and then we'll see what happens there. So, I I remain you know pessimistic about the possibility of a win streak. I don't think that I've seen anything from this team that would suggest that they're going to enter into any sort of consistency. And in order to win any stretch of games in a row. You either need an incredibly weak schedule or you need to play with an incredible amount of consistency. And that's something that has eluded these Broncos, in particular on the offensive side. So I think Nathaniel Hackett is, is, is hoping for a win streak, but nothing would suggest that they're about to go on it. None of their play. Their defense is going to get a little bit worse now without Bradley Chubb. And that would suggest like, okay, they, the offense needs to take a step forward. Well, what have we seen that would tell you that the offense is going to take a step forward? I just, I don't see it. I think that they played the long game with Bradley Chubb. I don't think that they were going to sign him to a long-term deal. I, it was pretty clear. So at that point, it's like you're either, you know, a one-loss team and, and very much in the race and you're going to keep him around or they were going to deal him and try to get some draft picks and that's what they did. Offensive line play isn't sexy to talk about. There are no stats really involved with it. Nothing with fantasy football. That involves offensive line play. But yet, when I hear Mark talk about how bad the offensive line play is around the NFL, when I see Tom Brady and Matt Stafford struggling mightily this year compared to last year and the obvious differences in their offensive line, I'm curious, as somebody who calls top college football games every week, what is the state of offensive line play in college? And does it explain why it might be so bad in the pros? Well, I think what you have is is different styles of offense, and and I think it's hard for offensive linemen. You know, we used to talk about this with quarterbacks. It's like these college systems. It was hard to translate into the NFL. I think the same can be said for offensive linemen. And and the the biggest difference, Mike, is the fact that the the RPO, the run pass option, is is I don't I don't want to say it's way more prevalent in college football, but it's very different in college football. And it's because the rules are different. So the rule in college football is that you can be three yards down uh, the field as an ineligible receiver and, and you're still fine. So that's the buffer, the margin. So in an RPO, you can come off the ball and actually block those, those run plays. Because of that, what you have is it's very rare for a college offensive lineman to have to just sit in, in legitimate pass protection because they run those RPOs so often 
even on third and obvious, they're running some sort of RPO where you're trying to put some defender in conflict. And because of that, the offensive lineman's job becomes a little bit more simplistic. So then they go to the NFL and the buffer is only one yard. Okay, so the the one yard buffer for ineligible downfield is one yard. Well, because of that, you you can't be as prevalent in your play selection in obvious passing situations with the RPO, which means that you've got to be in a traditional pass set more often. I don't think that that's what's developed in the college game, the traditional pass set. It's so rare to find a guy that is really good when – they've got to throw the football, that he can defend both a power rush and a speed rush. Now, granted, that's that's rare at the next level as well, but it's just not being developed. And so when these guys get to the next level, what ends up happening is is that they're more raw than they ever have been, even if they're more talented or more physically gifted, right? They're, they're more raw. They don't have the reps necessary to be really good in pass protection. I think that that's a, a, a huge issue. There's also the issue in, in college football of the wide hash marks. When you've got the wide hash marks, what happens is that you have more space. When you have more space, you can exploit the defensive structure. And what you can do is you can basically tell yourself, we are not going to run the football unless we have an advantageous run box. Okay, So unless we can block everybody in the run front, we're going to throw the ball out and, and try to exploit the space on the outside. In the NFL, it's not as easily defined. So I think that you have to run the football against what I would call the heavy run box more often in the NFL than you do in college football. It's for all of those reasons. And those are, by the way, you know, some of them personnel related and others just structure the sport and rule related. I think all of those reasons are why I think that we've seen a deterioration of the offensive line position and why it's so hard for these NFL teams to actually find good offensive linemen. Hey, you know, I, I want to ask you because I got in this this uh, tête-à-tête, if you will, on Twitter just about the RPO game, and you know far more about it than I do. But I, I would tell you, like I always think of RPO is you've got an option to hand it to a running back. You're putting a defensive end or a tackle or whoever in conflict, right? You're making them make a decision: are you going to surf this? Are you going to pitch down and take it? How are you going to how are you going to react to that? And then you're also looking at a second-level defender. If I can put that guy in a conflict, you know, I can throw behind him on a little uh, uh, drift route or whatever the case may be. Or I also almost have this triple option where I can pull it as a quarterback and run, right? So that that kind of is RPO, you know, 101, if you will. How, how do you call it when they don't have a running back in empty? Do you still call it an RPO when the quarterback has an option to run it, but he can throw it as well? Is that, like, is, do you define that differently? Because I have no idea. Well, I, I do, but only in, in terms of when the decision is made. So for me, there are pre-snap RPOs and there are post-snap RPOs. Okay, what you explained initially was a post-snap RPO. You're going to get into a set and you're going to try to put somebody in conflict. And you're going to put them in conflict post-snap. Okay, So you're going to put a, usually a support player and by your, your offensive structure and personnel group, you're going to try to isolate a, a, a particular defender and then put the quarterback's eyes on that player and during the fake, you're going to try to make that defender wrong uh, that's in conflict post-snap. Then there's what you're talking about out of an empty set, which is more of a pre-snap ratio run-pass option. So now the quarterback has to decide before the ball is snapped whether he's going to run it or not. So what you see sometimes in college football is is like this this empty set where you've got either a 3-by-2 or even a 4-by-1, and, and what you have is usually it's, it markets three plays, not two. 
in that instance. If it's a pre-snap RPO, there's usually three options. One to the right, one to the left, and the quarterback. So, for instance, right, if you're going to get into it and you see it on short yardage, sometimes you see it on two-point plays a lot. What you, what you see in college football is that you'll put four receivers over to, like, let's say the right side. Well, if there's four defenders over there, then you're like, okay, we're not going to throw it over there. They've got defenders. Now I've got five offensive linemen and me, the quarterback. Well, if they've got six players in front of me, I don't like that, okay? So there's six for six and four for four. Well, that means there's a one-on-one on the other side. So now I'm going to go exploit that one-on-one, and I'm going to throw that slant. Okay, now let's say they kind of like walk out that linebacker towards the single receiver side because maybe it's Marvin Harrison Jr. or somebody that you're like, man, we just can't allow, allow him to, to have a one-on-one. Well, now there's only five guys in, in the what I would call the box. Well, now my five offensive linemen can block those, so I'm gonna just going to give a little quarterback draw. Well, let's say the support player on the right side of the four-receiver four side, he wants to walk in a little bit, and he wants to be kind of play a halfway. Well, now I've got three for three on a block, and I can get to the edge with that fourth guy, so I'm just going to pitch that screen out there. So when it comes to an empty set, think of it as a pre-snap decision from the quarterback. He's got three options. It can be any of those, and it's all based on ratio. If you're, if you're thinking about a traditional RPO, that's a post-snap where you're putting a, a particular defender in conflict, Generally, the support player, based on your structure and your eyes as a quarterback, are going to go to him right away after the snap, and you make him wrong. Oh my gosh! I need a cigarette. I really, I really do. I need a cigarette. That, was, that yeah. was freaking awesome. That was. I'm, I'm all over. I, hey, I'm so make, all over. make it a 100. Hey, he just took yeah. his shirt off too. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, it is. It is getting hot in here. I know. I know. You reached him when he's. Hey, Johnny. Shirt off. Johnny, we got an air conditioner. Can you turn the air up? Uh, Joel Clatt joining us, presented by Audi Flatirons. Uh, more rhetoric, more uh, taunting, more uh, Pete Carroll, smug Pete Carroll talking about how great Geno Smith is. And this this came up, the idea that Geno Smith does no has no problem wearing a wristband during a game where apparently Russell Wilson does have a problem wearing a wristband. Mark said yesterday, I think I'm, I'm not putting words in your mouth, that it's, uh, it's kind of an ego thing, that uh, you don't want to look like you need... To have that um, uh, crutch, if you will, having the wristband, the plays on your wrist. Explain it to me from a quarterback's perspective. Uh, Did you play with a wristband? What are the advantages of it? Uh, Does it make a big deal that Russell Wilson doesn't want to have one on his wrist? Well, I think it comes down to your your process. Um, You know, I think that you can operate a little quicker if you are using a wristband because the coach can just tell you a number in your in your headset and you can get right to it and, and look at it and go. Um, I know that, that some in some cases uh, it is an ego thing because, like, for instance, well, we used a wristband, but it was only for the two-minute situation, right? So it can be situational. So we wanted – so all the skill position players had – the wristband so that I could just call the two minute situation quickly. And I didn't have to signal because if you start signal and you give the same signals all the time, like under lion, you know, Ohio, all these different concepts, then at some point they're going to be like, Oh, I know that signal. So you wanted to have the ability to basically like have a wristband and then you can just basically signal, you know, numbers in, in a way that you can get the play called on the outside. And in, in the NFL, it becomes a little bit of an ego thing because and, and I don't want to say that this is always the case, 
again, like it's always so specific to the team and what they want to do. However, I would tell you that the verbiage can get lengthy in some of, some of these offenses where it can be hard to regurgitate what you just heard. Okay, and and certainly young quarterbacks have a hard time with this. So sometimes the most lengthy play calls, they'll just put on the wristband so that they can just give a number and then the quarterback can read that in the huddle. I mean, I you know, this is going to be a poor example, but some of these formations in the offenses can get so extravagant that it can be difficult to regurgitate it. And if you just hear this in your headset and then you've got to get in there and just say it right away and you've got to say it perfectly because it's all very specific, you know, you, you can be like in you can be like in, in, in Trey Wright nasty, Z short, explode to triple right U disco, X nasty, two hundred jet, X out, Y spacing, check ninety six power. And then it's like if you just hear that as a quarterback and then you like put your knee down in the huddle and you're like, Wait, 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 what what was the initial formation that we wanted to shift out of? Because remember that's very specific because you're looking for a very specific defensive look to then shift out of to get into a matchup where you're advantageous, maybe with that X out or Ohio or whatever you're going to run on that single receiver side. You've got the spacing concept, which can be your foundation, but if you don't get that look, you can always check the power. So there's all these things, but it can be hard if you just hear that in your headset and then, and then the, the, the time runs out and, and the coach is clicked out. So a lot of times, like for a young player in particular at the quarterback position, they'll sit there and practice and they, they hear a play call from like a John Gruden type with all of that language. And they're like, oh, crap. Like, what was that again? Well, in some of those lengthier calls, you can put it on a wristband. And, and, and I have seen some quarterbacks scoff at the notion that they would need a wristband, a wristband for the lengthier call. So on that but, lengthy call, all that, all that Nathaniel Hackett would have to do is say two. And Russell Wilson looks right. down, and then and he, he can said, just read it, and then, and then he, he reads can what just you read just it said. To like, oh, okay, now I understand it's Trey Wright nasty in a nasty X short, you know, burst to triple right. You just go X nasty, you know, blah blah blah. Real, real quick though, what is it about a quarterback that, like, if it's not ego driven, because Kirk Cousins doesn't want to wear a, a wristband, and they've had that conversation because I, I don't like. I just have never liked it. I don't like that. And I don't think it's ego-driven from Kirk. It's just yeah. Like, so for for a quarterback, like, are there any disadvantages in your mind to having a wristband? I know that some guys have, have said that they don't like a wristband on their forearm because they feel like it hurts their ball security, like if they've got to tuck it. Um, I know that, like, guys can be very particular about the way that their arms feel uh, in terms of how they throw the football. Like for instance, I could not throw the ball with a long sleeve undershirt. I couldn't do it. I don't, I don't know why, but I couldn't do it. So it didn't matter what the temperature was. I had to have a short sleeve shirt on under my pads. Um, Now a wristband didn't bother me, but maybe somebody has got something like that where it's like, listen, I don't want that plastic piece on the inside of my forearm for if I tuck the ball, now it becomes slippier. You know, I've got uh, uh, I've got more tact, if you will, with my forearm against the ball against my ribs. It can be something along those lines. There's any number of reasons. That's why, I like, I don't want to blame Russell and say, like, oh, well, you know, he's got to do this, and that means he's selfish. That, like, there can be a lot of different things. And, by the way, this is Pete, man. Pete's always been this guy. Like, he, ever since he was at... USC, you know, like he's Mr. Energizer Bunny and positivity, but only with his guys. And he'll throw some shade 
out over other people or programs. I just always go back to that. I don't know if you guys remember this, but like late in, I think it was 2000, maybe eight or something like that. Jim Harbaugh had just gotten to Stanford and Stanford goes in and like beats USC badly. And Harbaugh comes out and Pete Carroll was like, what's your deal, man? And Jim just looks at him and was like, what's your deal? I remember <laughs> you know, that. So like yeah, Pete, yeah. Pete's got a little of that in him where, you know, there's, there's some showman in him uh, to some degree. And this might be a case of that as well. All right, Joel, who you got this week? I've got Ohio State and Indiana. I'm still trying to wrap my brain around why. It's a 40-point <laughs> spread. But, uh, you know, uh, we'll go and uh, do our best. Yeah. I love it. This is love so, it. Oh, Ohio State, Indiana. I just listen. So there's, beneath I, me. If there's nothing else, guys, I'm going to give you my honest opinion. Yes. There you go. Yeah, I, that's what we account on every single week. Thank you, Joel. See you, buddy. Thank you. Joel Platt, presented by Audi Flatirons. Hello, this is Ryan Watson, Vice President and General Manager of Audi Flatirons and Audi Boulder Service. When was the last time a dealership delivered the experience you were looking for? Have you ever felt that buying a car was solely about making the sale? It should be about the relationship, beginning with your commitment to do business with us and continuing through the years to follow. Our team is dedicated to exceeding your expectations from the first mile to the last. Come see us in person or visit us online at AudiFlatirons.com or AudiBoulderService.com.